Welcome to the ride. Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. With a little planning, taxes are not something you need to stress about. Okay, maybe not too much anyway. Well, Chris Rowe's guest is Gary Armstrong, CPA, CGA, and Gary has some insights into what needs your attention at tax time. All right. Thanks, Patrice. Uh, so yes, hallelujah, tax time is done. And uh, today we're going to be going through the common tax filing tips and how to think, how to make things easier when you're filing your taxes next year, since it's kind of fresh in everyone's mind. Um, this time of year that just passed, it can be kind of a tough time for everyone because people are stressed on getting slips and getting things in and seeing what that tax bill may or may not be. Uh, it's definitely not my favorite time in my business, but needs to be done. And it's a nice relief once everything is done. And I know that each year that when that comes up, the accountants are putting in very long hours, a very stressful time for them. And just thought we'd get Gary back on the show to have a chat about some of the things he sees when people drop off tax returns and just giving some tips on what people can do to make things easier for them. So just to refresh the listeners' minds, Gary, he's a chartered professional accountant and a certified general accountant with Green Private Wealth. And I'll mention here, it's actually the first time I've mentioned this, the relation here is that my business, Three Ads Financial, is going to be merging with later this year with Green Private Wealth. And we're extremely excited about that because it's going to make us uh, quite a large team and just really excited to merging and being one. So that's where the relation comes with. And that means that Gary's stuck with me for a very long time. So Gary, thanks very much for coming back on this show. I imagine you were probably at Ball Diamonds all weekend, last weekend with your daughter. Yes, we were there for all day, Saturday and a little bit on the the Sunday. And then tonight we're back at it again. So (laughs) till almost midnight tonight. Midnight? Wow, that's crazy. Now, how'd you guys do? Was it a tournament this weekend? Yeah, this is our opening tournament. We went four and one. The uh, proud dad moment. My daughter pitched uh, her first game and uh, ended up getting 11 strikeouts in four innings and uh, gave up wow. only one run. So proud dad. Holy and smokes. then she also hit her first home run of the year uh, of her career. So holy smokes, that's a heck of a tournament. That's great. Yeah. Oh, perfect. What a, what a way to end your tax season. Go watch your daughter do that. Hit it out of the park. All right. So Gary, you and I were chatting about this episode. We just thought we'd have a chat here on a a few things that people make mistakes on or things they can kind of improve to help themselves. So let's just start by number one, uh, handing taxes in too early. So let's just touch on what people should be aware of that and why they don't want to do that. Yeah. So from a, a filing perspective, we always have this mismatch of timing when things are due for an individual and when things are due from their investment perspective. So when you invest in Canada, you get usually certain types of slips, either what we call a T5, which would be sort of a dividend, or you're going to get a T3, which is a mutual fund or a trust account, which is what the technical side of it is. The 
dividend slips. So the T5s are due in February 28th. So you'll get them somewhat early. A T3, which is uh, the trust accounts, they're due 90 days after the year end. And most investment year ends are December 31st. Therefore, they're not due to be submitted until March 30th. And therefore, they'll get put in the mail March 30th, and the clients will receive them sometime in early to mid-April. So you'll see that in an investment perspective, you're trying to file your stuff at the end of April, but the slips aren't even coming in until early to mid-April for some of the investments. So you'll see if you file them too early, you're going to be missed slips, and you'll usually get a reassessment later in the year. So that's one of the first things that we see is why you don't want to hand them in too early is because the slips may or may not even have arrived yet for investments. Yep. And I, over the years, we've had fun companies make mistakes and amend things. And then people have filed too early and they have to go back and change that. This year, we have a lot of clients for the first time in alternative investments in their portfolio. And as you mentioned, Gary, and as you know, doing some of those tax returns, the slips don't get sent out till later. So it's just really in people's best interest to try. I know everyone wants to just get that check mark done and find out if it's going to hurt or not, if they owe, but you really have to just make sure you wait and make sure that you have all those slips before filing. So, so thanks for that, Gary. So the next one is um, let's talk about the difference between a, a tax credit and reduction, since I know that screws up a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, and as we talked about, we have a lot of people who uh, are charitable and they uh, give donations and they always think that they've given a donation and therefore their donation amount would equal the amount of money they're going to get back. But that's not how our tax system works. Our tax system is uh, given either a credit or a deduction. And the difference between those is deduction reduces the income and a credit reduces the amount of taxes due. So when you reduce the amount of taxes due, you're given a credit at the lowest tax bracket. So currently, federally, it's 15%. And here in Ontario, it's 5.05%. So when you give a donation, you're only going to get a certain credit amount. A donation is a little bit different than the regular credits, but a, net, uh, a regular credit, such as medical, you're only getting 20% uh, of whatever you've actually put in. And they always have formulas and they, you know, I always sort of joke with people say the government likes to give you credits because then they can only, you know, play around with how you calculate those credits and they're only going to maximize out if you owe tax, which in a lot of cases we have a, a, a significant number of seniors who don't have a lot of income or their basic credit amounts are wiping out their taxes due they don't get any money back because of it. So they're not reducing uh, the amount of taxes owing, but they're reducing the amount of credits. But if they have no taxes due, the credit means nothing. So that's one of the common things I see, Chris. Okay, great. Well, thanks. And now tuition. So I know that's changed. Uh, I know years ago you could, you were literally keeping track of books and amounts and things like that. Can you just touch on that quickly on how the tuition credits have changed? Yeah. And in, in the last, over the last couple of years, I always see people sending in information and saying, well, do I need to get my kids book amounts or uh, their school, you know, tuition amounts and everything else. 
those don't actually apply. Your students will get a slip called a T2202 from the school because they have to take out certain fees. And we really don't know what those fees are. So it's not the actual amount that you paid to the school. It's only the amount that actually is applicable on those T2202s. There's also, if you have a student that's foreign, there's a TL11 that they can file and it's a similar form and you get the registrars there to fill out the uh, slips. But those amounts are all that you get. Ontario removed amount, uh, the total credit amount. So you don't even get a, a tuition credit here in Ontario because they reduced fees. And federally, all you can get is the tuition amount. A few years ago, it used to be based on full-time or part-time, they give you a set dollar for the amount of months that you were in school. Those were to sort of equal out paying for your books and just common little, little expenses that you had. So we call those the education amounts. Those are no longer available. So now all you get is the actual tuition and it's a credit as we just talked about. So the maximum you can get is 15% of whatever that dollar figure that they provide on those number uh, on those T2202s. So you okay. get a very you know low number amount of dollars from it. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely changed. Now you you're mentioning the slips for that, or sorry, the tuition receipts, correct? To to get that? Correct. So what about what are other things that people should be bringing in that you see missed? Like everyone knows. T3, T4 statements, they're going to bring that in. But what are some of the things that you see that people just forget to bring in that there could be potential credits for that they don't even realize that they're eligible for? Yeah. So one of the main ones, uh, people think you can deduct property tax credits, but there is no property tax credits. What the government has done is they put them into what we call the Ontario Trillium benefits here in Ontario. And a lot of the provinces, some provinces have it. So if you're listening from other parts of Canada, some have it still in their tax returns, others don't. Ontario here does not have it, but we give a quarterly or monthly or one-time shot payment, depending on the amounts, the Ontario Trillium benefits. And we calculate a property tax credits on those. It is income geared. So sometimes people do not qualify for them because their income is too high. But other times they do qualify for them. And, you know, I, I always just try to estimate where it will fall, but it's, it's hard to always uh, tell what dollar figure it is. So I always just tell people, you know, I'd rather you just give me the prop your final property tax bill so I can put it on the tax return, because if you qualify for it, great. If you don't qualify for it, there's no loss. It's just on the return. So there's a lot of times people are switching either going from working full-time or, or retiring or had a one-shot payment, they don't qualify in the one year, then they don't think about bringing it in, in the following years. So those are some, one of the, the common ones that I see. Okay. And then another thing I want to touch on is you and I were having a chat about that, but let's talk about now capital gains and investment income, because lots of times we'll have questions where clients are like, well, I didn't, I didn't sell anything. I didn't take any cash from my portfolio. Why do I have capital gains on my investments or why am I paying tax on this when I haven't taken any money out? That's, a, that's always a, a good one. And one that 
as the accountant, we always have to field because, uh, and, and working in this industry, I see it a little bit more where people want the growth in their investments, but don't want to pay the tax equivalent to it. And then when you tell them that they had to pay tax because of their investments, they get upset at uh, someone like yourself as the advisor saying, why am I paying so much tax by earning money? So we're sort of can't win no matter what situation we're in because no one likes to pay taxes. But it is a good point to, to remember that when, we, when your investments are growing, we have two different types of growth in, a, in investments. We have either the annual investment growth, which you pay tax on annually, or you have a deferred growth. Those are what we call our capital gains side of it. So you only pay capital gains tax when you actually transact the actual uh, sale or movement of that cash. So from a taxing perspective, we just say it has to be an effective or realized gain or loss in order to use it versus investment income that will grows on disbursements. So as I said to you, Chris, a lot of times we're seeing stuff like in, in our investments, they receive a dividend, that dividend gets reinvested. That reinvested dividend goes on to a either a T3 slip or a T5 slip, depending on the type of investment it is. Those get taxed on an annual basis. So in certain years, you know, you guys from an investment standpoint will move things around uh, to better the client. Those transactions realize those gains or losses and those get transacted. The cash hasn't left the investments, but the taxpayer ends up getting it or the client gets a tax hit because of that amount. So I think those are things to remember is that when you're paying tax, it's usually a good thing because you've actually made more money. It just hurts when you have to pay it. And a lot of times you have to pull it out of your portfolio in order to pay that tax. Yeah. And you touched on it. Like it sucks with the sticker shock on the bill and that on the tax bill, of course, but it's not like you want to go be in investments that don't make you money. So if your money is a non-registered and that means your tax-free savings account's full and you've got money in a non-registered account, there's going to be taxes on that if you've made money. Like the taxes aren't a bad thing in those accounts because it means you've made money. It's not that you're going to want to switch investments, say, hey, advisor, can you switch me out of that into something that doesn't make much money so I don't have to pay tax. Um, so yeah, that's we get asked that quite a bit. Okay, so let's now, another one, Gary, is deducting fees on your portfolios because we get questions on that. So touch... What can clients deduct? Because a lot of times they think they can deduct all the fees in the portfolio, which obviously is not the case. Correct. The, if, we, if you step back and think, what can you deduct? Well, if you're going to pay tax on it, you should be able to deduct the equivalent fee for it. So in our cases, the, the tax-free savings accounts or the TFSAs, there's no tax on it. So why should you get a tax break for something that has no tax on it in the first place? So you don't get to deduct those. Inside the RSP, the RSP actually gets to deduct the fee inside there. So there's an actual, most people don't realize there's a tax inside the uh, TFSAs and stuff like that on investment growth that uh, gets taxed inside the fund. So that's where the fee gets deducted, not you act as the actual individual who's receiving that income because 
when you put your money into the RSP, you got the full deduction at that point. So therefore you don't do, you have to record the income at that point in time down the road. So it's a deferral. So you don't get to deduct those fees. So the only fees you really can deduct are fees that you're paying for something that's income now. So the income now are those disbursements or capital gains. So essentially it comes down to your non-registered accounts. So for us, we always tend to call them your cash accounts or your investment accounts or you know those types of fees are deductible and those all line up. And as I said, when you think of the practicality of it, you're earning the income, you get to deduct the fee. So hopefully that makes sense to you. Yep, great, thanks. Nope, I, I appreciate that. So then, yeah, just sometimes pe people think they can deduct everything. And we'll even have sometimes people asking for all the fees on the account uh, so they can deduct it. And it's just, you have to remember, it's the non-registered accounts that you can deduct the fees on. One of the things uh, that we used to be able to deduct and is no longer allowed to be deducted are safety deposit boxes. They removed that from the Income Tax Act a few years ago to allow deductions. And so it, it is common to see those fees. It's, it's similar to these non-reg fees. They're just called other deductions, but they used to be able to be deducted against investment income because practically you used to hold, hold your stocks in the actual safety deposit box. So we can't deduct those any longer. Okay, let's touch on this one, <laughs> foreign income. So obviously, if you own property in other countries outside of Canada, there's tax on that. So especially where we get a lot of questions is we have a lot of clients that own property in the US. So can you touch on that, Gary? Yeah. So as I, as I always say to people, when Income Tax Act or the accountants or anyone else is asking you about foreign property, we have to remember that property from a tax perspective is not a physical uh, land or house that you have. So I always say to people, property from an income tax perspective is anything that earns income. So it's an investment side of things. A trailer or a house or you know what we call personal use property down in Florida, there's, no, there's nothing to report with those. If you're using it to uh, rent out. Now you have some filing positions because rental income is considered property income. That's sort of the, the technical tax side of it and sort of a way to remember is reason why we asked that question of, do you have a hundred thousand of foreign property is because of property being investment. So that's sort of the way to remember. The reason why it's so important to know whether or not you have it or not is because there's huge penalties and they're punitive penalties. They're $25 a day up to uh, hundred days. So you get maximum of $2,500 penalties on these accounts and they can go back for multiple years, multiple. I had one client that one time had investments for these that didn't report them. And when you go back, he had 10 years worth of it. So, you know, for something that doesn't have tax and all it is is a checkbox and a couple numbers on a form, there was $25,000 worth of penalties. Oof. So we do not want to miss that. And that's why it's important to know whether or not you have foreign property. The interesting thing is, as I was saying to, to you the other day, Chris, was not just that what qualifies as those 
property is that it's based on the underlying asset. So that's the interesting part of this is that you can have a stock in say Apple, that is a US company held here in a bank or say with us. And that is actually considered foreign property, even though it's not you know, in our heads, it's held here in Canada. They did simplify the, the filing. So we just have to report what's held in a Canadian brokerage account. But, you know, it, it, it was missed quite a bit because people don't think of their investments in a stock, say, in, in Apple, in held in their bank account or in their brokerage account here in Canada would qualify, even though it did. So that is one of those ones that people tend to forget. And as I said, it is, it is a nasty penalty to get. And that's, that's in just non-registered accounts. It doesn't matter if it's an RSP. Yeah, you're, you're, you're correct, Chris, that uh, it's all in non-registered accounts. The reason why is that what we call the, the end user has to report it. So inside a registered account, such as a TFSA or an RSP or the fund itself or the mutual fund as well, they have to report it. From a taxing perspective, they're all the same. They're all considered what we call a trust account from a tax perspective. So the trust account is required to report it, not the individual trust holder. So in our, in our technical way, you as an individual do not have to report in your TFSAs or your RSPs or your uh, mutual fund investments. They're required to do it. It's only the end user, say an individual stock that has to actually use be the reporting of it. And if you look at the slip itself, it has a bunch of different things because you can hold, you know, stocks, you can hold bonds, you can have funds inside a U.S. or not U.S., but any uh, insurance company. So you could have segregated funds or you could have various different investments that are all held outside of Canada that uh, apply to this. And the next question I want to go over now is what can an accountant access through CRA on a client's behalf? Because some people get a little confused now thinking that the accountants can access a lot more than what they can actually get. But what can you access through CRA for a client? The, the major thing, I always say it's, a, it's the major slips. So in general, we can get T4s, T5s, T3s, all of those you know, general uh, slips. Once they're processed through CRA, we can get them online. That's the challenging part is that there is no time frame that CRA gets them processed. So for example, in our, this year, one of our investments did not get processed. It still hasn't been processed. So when we look at it, we knew we had a T3 that was not downloaded. We were able to download the other information. So we had to actually use our physical slips. And because it was our own internal investments that we knew about, it's, we can gather it and put it on the taxpayer's form. So those are the general things. We also can usually access historical gains, losses. We can you know, find out people's RSP rooms or TFSA rooms, if they owe, if they don't owe, and those types of information. We get more information from a corporate account, we have more access to information, but for individuals, we do not get access to like addresses or anything else. We can't change any of that stuff where we can do that for a corporate client. So there's a lot of information that we do have access to 
a lot of it, you know, we don't necessarily certain special slips such as like uh, profit sharing slips. So we have some clients who get a, a profit sharing slip from their employer. We can't access those. Those do not get downloaded. So we need copies of those slips and the general stuff like, you know, your donations. Well, CRA is not going to know your donations. We don't know your medical. We don't know your property taxes. All those things do not go through CRA. Those are things we cannot access. But the key point is that we don't know necessarily when CRA will process things. So I don't, I don't always trust that it'll be there when I'm preparing someone's tax return. So I like to see the physical copies just because then we know I can compare whether or not CRA has it or not. But those are the main things that we can access through CRA. Okay. Well, that's great to know. Now, if we touched on the beginning of this show that very important to wait till you get all your slips and all of that to avoid making mistakes and filing before you submitted all the proper information. What happens if you get a slip after you've, or a slip's been amended and now you have to go back and change it? What happens then to a return? How do you go change a return if you've already filed it? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I remember uh, when I started in my career, people would send in slips later on in the year and any time in the year and say, oh, well, well, we'll report that next year, especially T3s, because as I said, those ones are the ones that tend to come late because they have a different filing deadline. So we would get these T3s of individuals and they've made it a little simpler that they made a lot of the T3s have to go to a December 31st year end. Prior uh, to that, you could have a T3 that had actual year ends in the middle of the year. So they would be reporting your T3 sometime in the year. So people would get it. And from a tax perspective, it report it in the year in which you received it. So you always had this timing issue. What happens now is because everything's electronic, CRA knows about them. CRA gets, they have to be filed with CRA. They'll come back and they'll, they'll automatically reassess you. And then they charge you interest and penalties. If you know about them beforehand, then we can go and amend your tax return for you, or you can do it yourself through the CRAs, different websites, forms you can file. You know, there's multiple different ways. I, I always suggest not to wait for CRA to just automatically assess it, because if you do that in twice in a three-year period, CRA now can actually have apply a 20% penalty on the income, not on the amount of taxes due, but on the income that you Ooh. did not report. So as again, it's another one that's important to make sure that if you get a slip late and you've already filed, make sure you amend the tax return for that. Us as accountants, when you're dealing with the accountants and they've given you those authorization forms to sign, usually we can go in online and, and file it right on CRA. What's happens in there and as Chris and I have sort of run into is that you can see that when you file those forms with CRA you don't know how long it's going to take for them to actually reassess someone I've had reassessments done within a two-week period I've seen them in three months I've seen them six months I have one still sitting in reassessment that uh, I changed the tax return last June and it's still sitting there it can take two, as I said two weeks three weeks a year or more. I've had CRA respond back to us 18 months after filing something and saying, we'll get back to you within, you know, a year. 
So it, the government, you know, they work at their own own pace. We can't control that, but there is a, you know, what we can do is we can change the returns and I suggest you change it as soon as you can. All right, well, that's that's a very, we'll end with that because that's, that's a very good tip to make sure that you get a slip or something that needs to be corrected. Definitely do not wait to just put that off till the following year because that can cost you a lot of money. So well, thanks, Gary. I really appreciate you running through those tips and being back on the show. And uh, yeah, thanks again. You're very welcome. Gentlemen, that was a great discussion. I mean, you covered credits and deductions, foreign income, safety deposit boxes. Who knew about those? And even changing a return among just a few of the things. So Chris, how can listeners reach you for more information? As always, just through the website, threehatsfinancial.ca, and there's a contact page there. And be sure to follow this podcast, The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth, to know when the latest episode is ready, and please share with friends and family. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.